anybody have a parent that say this when you were growing up? Anybody have a parent that said this? Do what I say, not what I do. Anybody have a parent that, that used that line? Uh, you know, that line works, you know, we've got a bunch of kids. That line works to a certain extent because then once kids get to a certain age, kids become like the greatest readers of hypocrites. And they just like read right through you. It's just kids have this natural smell for it. I remember when I was in high school, there was a, a teacher and a coach who used to say this to us. He used to say, do what I say, not what I do. And it was interesting because none of us on the wrestling team, none of us, none of us in his class, we could buy into his Kool-Aid. We just couldn't buy into what he was saying because we're like, dude, you're such a hypocrite. You know, you're saying one thing and doing something completely different. And so this statement doesn't really work, not only because it's hypocritical, but also because it's not the way that we as human beings are wired. We aren't primarily uh, shaped through instruction, through, through verbal teaching, through reading and speech. We are people as human beings who are shaped and influenced by the actions, by the uh, attitudes, and by the behavior, behaviors of the people around us. This plays out in small ways. For example, my dad was a Seahawks fan. I'm a Seahawks fan. My kids are Seahawks fans. Are we Seahawks fans just because they're better than the 49ers and the Cowboys and those other teams? Well, yes, partially. But we're also Seahawks fans because in the Yakima area, there's a lot of Seahawks fans. And I grew up in a culture that had a lot of Seahawks fans. And my family was Seahawks fans. And so I grew up in this culture and it kind of cultivated within me to be a Seahawks fan. And so, and so... How you are raised influences the things that you like, the things that you do. So this plays out on the types of food that you like to eat. This plays out into how you value education. This plays out into, into music. See, I love music, but my family growing up was not into music at all. So I can't keep a beat. I mean, if, that's why I sit up here so nobody has to hear me sing because nobody is going to be in front of me. Because that's just, it's, it's bad. It's bad because I didn't grow up in a family that valued music. And so it was foreign to me when I began liking it. And sometimes, sometimes this influence is negative. Like, like I remember this. Ever see yourself discipline your kids the way that your parents did and the way that you promised you would never do? So my mom was a yeller. My mom was great. I love my mom. She is, she, she, she's phenomenal, but she was a yeller. And I remember growing up, I said, I'm not going to be a yeller. I remember a couple years ago, it was one of those times, one of the kids, I don't even know what they did. And I was so frustrated and I was laying into him and I stopped in my tracks and I walked out of the room and I just bawled because the one thing that I told myself I wasn't going to do was what I was doing. So the type of people you are around, those people that you look up to, their examples and their models and their behavior and their values, they actually will, will shape and have influence on your own values, on your own behaviors, on your own uh, attitudes. Do what I say, not what I do, just doesn't really work because we are shaped by those values and those behaviors and the context in which we find ourselves. This is, why, this is why parents, we want our kids to choose good kids to be friends with and to grow up with and to, to hang out with. Because kids, when they hang out with other kids who have foul mouths and bad attitudes, I mean, I don't care how, how bright of a shining star your child is, if that is the kids that they're hanging around, some of those negative attitudes and influence will 
will begin to wear off on your own kids. Goes beyond junior high and peer pressure. Goes into college. The type of, the type of community that you identify with will have an impact and will sh- end up shaping the values that you hold. Paul understood this reality. We've been in this uh, series through the, uh, the, the book of Philippians for the past six weeks or so. And Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians while he was sitting in prison in Rome, 800 miles away. And we've seen that Paul's been talking about living a life worthy of the gospel. About about living a life that embodies the gospel in ourselves. And so in chapter 2, Paul talks about laying down our life in humility for the good of others so that God is magnified. And he pointed to Jesus and said, look to him. He exemplifies this gospel-centered humility more than anybody else. This was his life. This was the mindset, this gospel-centered humility that we are supposed to have within ourselves. That we're supposed to be people who care more about the interests of others than our own interests. So Paul, what he's done is he's he said this. He's taught it to the Philippians in this letter. He's pointed to Jesus as the perfect example of humility. As well as pointed to Jesus as the source of the power for us to live this way. But Paul knows something. Paul knows he can't just teach it. If, if we're going to have this true transformation, talking about these things is not enough. And so throughout this letter, Paul has written things like this. He said things like, I want to come to you. I want to be with you. I want you to follow me. But the problem was, remember Paul's sitting in prison in Rome over 800 miles away. And Paul can't come to him. So our passage today, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, Paul is talking about his desire to send people to the Philippians. To send people that they can look and they can see and they can set their eyes on and they can see what it looks like to live with gospel-centered intentionality, with gospel-centered humility. That they can actually see people who, who, who live and who embody the gospel in their life, people who live with joy. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Before we jump in, I'm going to just ask you to join me in prayer. God, we're just thankful for the opportunity to open up your word today. That, God, you have chosen to speak to us through your word. That, God, we aren't here just to hear a pastor's opinions, but, God, you actually want to speak to us and draw us closer into a deeper relationship with you today. God, I pray that you would just uh, help us to clear our minds today, help us to focus. Let us hear from you what it is that you want us to hear today. That, God, you would grow our faith, that you would help us to, to find the right people that we should be looking up to and modeling our lives after. God, we love you and praise you, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, I'm read verses 19 through 30. And he write, Paul writes and says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be generally concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. 
I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. That is God's word for us today. So as we look at this passage, Paul is going to give us these two examples. This example of Timothy and the example of Epaphroditus as the types of people that we should follow. So today, this is what we're going to see. We're going to see that there are, are, are two types of people that we can see in Timothy and Epaphroditus about the types of people that we should look up to, that we should follow, that we should mimic. And then after that, Paul's going to give us a couple instructions for how we're supposed to treat people who live like that. So first thing, look again at verse 19. Paul says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be generally concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. Who is Timothy? Who is this guy, Timothy, that that Paul's going to introduce us to? Timothy is first introduced in the Bible in the book of Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul is on his second missionary journey. Uh, Paul spent a lot of uh, his time going around to different cities and planting churches. And so on his second missionary journey, he goes into a city of Lystra. And at the church, there's a young man who's well spoken of by the church by the name of, of Timothy. And so Paul says, hey, Timothy, Timothy, I'd like you to come and, and, and come with me. I want you to come with me and join me. And let me, let me teach you, Timothy, what the Bible says. Let me show you, Timothy, what it means to serve Christ. Let me show you what it means to serve the kingdom of God. So our text says in verse 22, it says, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. See, back in this day, what would happen is, is a child, a son, would do whatever the father did. So if the father was a shoemaker, then the son would learn from the father, would apprentice under his father to say, you're going to be a shoemaker when you're an adult. And so if you're, if you're, if your father was a, was a goldsmith, the son would apprentice under the father, learn how to do that work. And they would become a goldsmith when they grew up. And so for you, you might be a a orchard guy and your son is going to learn how to do the orchards through you. You might be an architect and your child is going to learn how to be an architect from you. And this is kind of the way it works. And so what Paul's saying about Timothy is is he's saying he's like a son to to me. He's apprenticed under Paul, and he's learned how to serve the kingdom of God. See, Acts chapter 16, when Paul tells Timothy, hey, come follow me, that that happened about 51 A.D. And Paul's writing this letter in 61 A.D. So so Timothy has followed Paul for, for the better part of a decade. And what Paul says, he says, I have no one else like Timothy. He is like one with me in my soul. He he values what I value. He lives the way I live. He behaves the way I behave. And And as Paul thinks about the Philippians, as he thinks about them trying to live out their salvation, to live out their faith, 
to work out that salvation with fear and trembling, Paul says, I want Timothy to be with you. I want you to see how to do it through the life of, of Timothy. Paul says in verse 23, he says, I hope to send him to you just as soon as I see how it will go with me. He says, I want to send him to you now, but Timothy needs to wait with me until we figure out what's going to happen in my court trial. So he says, since I'm not able to send Timothy, what I'd like to do is send someone else to you. He says in verse 25, he says, I thought it was necessary because I can't send Timothy to you right now. He says, I thought it was necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. We've already introduced Epaphroditus in this uh, sermon series. Epaphroditus was a Philippian. He was from the church at Philippi. And if you remember what we shared the very first week that we started the book of Philippians, we said that when the Philippians heard that Paul was in prison, that they became concerned about his welfare. And so they gathered a gift together. And they said, hey, we're going to send this gift to Paul to help him while he's in prison. And so they chose one of their own. They chose Epaphroditus to bring this gift to Paul and then to minister and encourage Paul while he's in prison. Now, what's interesting is we don't know much about Epaphroditus. Scripture doesn't tell us a ton. There are some commentators that will say Epaphroditus was the, the pastor of the Philippian church. But the Bible doesn't give us that much information. The Bible just says that he was some dude. He was some dude, who, a regular guy who was willing to lay down his life to travel 800 miles to, to Rome to carry a letter and to carry a gift to give to Paul. And it says when he got to Rome, he got really sick. It says, verse 26, it says, For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He says he was longing for you ever since he got sick. He says he was distressed. You notice what he was distressed about? Was he distressed because he was sick? See, I don't know about you, but when I get sick, like I'm in bed and I'm moaning and groaning and the world comes to a stop. And I wait and, 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 and I'm like, Smitha, Smitha, come take care of me because I'm just dead. Now, when she gets sick, it's a whole different story. It's just, I try and take care of her, but, but women and men, it's just very different how we get sick. But, but Timothy, Timothy, he genuinely concerned, he was genuinely cared for the well-being of others. And here, Epaphroditus, he's not concerned about his sickness. He's concerned about the, the Philippians. Even in his sickness, he's concerned about the well-being of others. Paul says in verse 27, indeed, Epaphroditus was sick near to death. He says, you may have heard that he was sick, but he was so sick we were concerned and nervous that he might die. He says, but, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul's saying, man, if Epaphroditus would have died, man, I would have felt so bad for you Philippians because you sent Epaphroditus to me to care for me. And I'm going to have, I'm going to feel very sad and, and sorrowful for how this is going to affect you. So Paul and Epaphroditus, they both had this genuine concern for the Philippians. And because of that, Paul says, I need to send Epaphroditus back to you as soon as I can. Because Epaphroditus is a great example of what it looks like to care for the interests of others. 
So Paul's trying to give us this exa- these examples of the types of people that we should follow, the types of people that we should look up to. And the first type of person that Paul is writing to us about is, is people who are generally concerned with the well-being of others. The first type of person we're supposed to follow and look up to and, 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 and learn from is people who are generally concerned about the well-being of others. We are to look and to keep our eyes on and we're to surround ourselves with people who are generally concerned with the well-being of others. You say, well, what does that look like? What does that look like? And we think about, we think about a gathering like this where we've got a hundred or so people gathered together. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. What are the types of people that you tend to admire? Who are the type of people that you look up to and you want to learn from and follow from? Because our human tendency... The human tendency we have is that we look to people who value the things that we value. And oftentimes, we value things that have little value in them uh, themselves. I mean, we look up to people who are successful. We think, man, they're successful in life. Man, I I, want to learn from them. I want to learn how to be successful myself. Or we look to people who have possessions and say, man, look what all they have. I want to learn from them to learn how I could have some of that. Or we look to people who are popular and have influence and say, man, I want to learn from them how I can have, be popular and how I can have influence on people. We tend to admire people who want to be admired. We admire people who live to be admired. We admire people who put themselves in positions to say, look at me. I'm so great. And so we buy the magazines we buy the magazines, we watch the TV shows, we watch, we watch the programs on the computer of people who are seeking that attention, who are seeking to be admired. And everybody around them says, man, look how great they are. And we end up modeling our values and our behaviors around people who are pursuing that kind of fame and honor and dignity. Instead of looking to people who instead are laying down their lives for the glory of God and for the good of others. And Paul says, Paul says, here are the people that you and I need to be around, that we need to look up to. The types of people who care more about the welfare of others than their own welfare. More about the glory of God rather than their own glory. And so again, we think about a gathering like this. We think about a group like this. And let me ask you, are you more concerned about who is going to greet you? Who's going to talk to you? Who's going to take care of you? Or are you concerned and and thinking about what it looks like for you to greet others, to serve others, to to welcome others? Because anyone, anyone you know, you begin to think through this, anyone you know who, who models this kind of attitude, who models this kind of behavior, those are the type of people that you should be looking to and following. Chances are, the people who do this, who humbly serve other people, who humbly greet other people, who seek other people's interests before their own, these are probably going to be ordinary people. They're not going to be the people that we're going to see on, on, on the TV shows and in the magazines. They're going to be people who don't fall in our charts of really awesome because they aren't seeking that kind of name for themselves. They aren't seeking that kind of attention for themselves. You will notice their humility. And you have to look hard to see these kind of people because they tend not to draw attention to themselves. And I, think, I think about people in this church. I think of people like Ron Pelson. 
Ron Pelson, we're a portable church. That means every Sunday we have to come in and, 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 and set all this stuff up. And you might not know this, but Ron Pelson, probably 85% of the time that we've done church has been the guy who gets up. I don't know what time he gets up. He has to get the trailer, get the trailer here by 730, uh, hauls the trailer here. When we're all done, takes it back to the, to the storage place. I mean, any, I mean, you think about how many times Ron has done this. You may not even know that he does this because he does it just humbly to serve the kingdom of God. There are tons of examples in our own church of people just like this. I think of people like, like John Holland. John Holland. I don't know anybody who has pushed more carts in this church than John Holland. I mean, John Holland, just about every Sunday, is back there pushing the buttons on the soundboard and doing these things. And, you know, you'd never hear him complain about it. You'd never hear him say, well, I need some recognition because he just does it so quietly and humbly to serve the kingdom of God. You might not know this, but Dan Fitzgerald and Dan Petker, every Thursday morning, they get together every Thursday morning to pray for all of us in here today. Chances are they've prayed for every one of you by name. And you haven't even known that they've been doing this for, 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 for a better part of a year at this point. Who do you know that just humbly is concerned about the welfare of others? I think about the moms. The moms who stay up late feeding their kids. Think about those dads who get up in the middle of the night. Because their kid has a nightmare. Those dads who get up in the middle of the night because their kid got sick all over the place. I think about those moms and dads who then have to stay up all night taking care of the kids. And then get up that next morning to go to work. So they can provide for the family and they can be a blessing to their family. I think about those students who don't just show up to school to learn. But they show up to be a blessing to their classmates and to their teachers. Who do you know? Who can you think of in your mind that is genuinely and humbly concerned for the well-being of others? Because what I want you to do is I want you to write their name down. I want you to think of who that person is. I want you to actually write their, even right now, like grab your pen, write their name down. Because these are the types of people that we're supposed to be looking up to. These humble, servant-hearted people. Because what's going to do What's going to happen is Paul's going to tell us in just a minute, he's going to tell us to honor those people. To honor those people, to keep our eyes on them, to follow them, to learn from them, to behold the glory of God in them. I mean, there's a ton of people in this church that, that, that picture this perfectly. I know some of you are sitting in your seat right now and you're saying, man, man, I wish, I wish Pastor Kevin would recognize me. I wish he would notice me. And I'm like... That's exactly the point of this message, right? <laughs> because honestly, if I, I'm with you, if I'm, if I'm sitting down in a pew, I mean, I, I'd want someone to notice me. I'd want someone to encourage me. And this is where the gospel says, take your eyes off yourselves. And you actually find joy when you take your eyes off yourself and put them on other people. So Paul says the first type of person we're supposed to look to and, and watch and learn from are people who are genuinely concerned about the well-being of others. But the second type of person, Paul's going to say, are people who have a proven, tested faith. Look with me at verse 22. He says again about Timothy, he says, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son 
with a father. He has served me in the gospel. Hope therefore to send him to you just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord shortly that I myself will come also. He says, I know and you know of Timothy's proven worth. What does that mean? That means that he's been tested. His faith has been tested. It's been tried and he's been proven faithful. The apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 6. He says, in this, which is the salvation that we have, that we have. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. If necessary, there's some sort of necessary function that our trials and our testing, something that it does within us. It does something within us. He says in verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. You see, our, the, the, the testing of our faith, the trials that we go through, the, the suffering we do, it does something to, to prove our faith. And again, I just look at our church and I think of so many in here who have been through trials, who've been through testing of their faith, who have walked through trials and have proven themselves faithful time and time again. So again, who are the people in your life? Who are the people that you can think through And you've watched them walk through hard stuff. You've watched them persevere through difficulty. You've watched them hope in God in the midst of difficulty. You've watched them hope in God in the midst of loss, of despair, of pain and suffering. Who are the people that you've watched walk through painful seasons relationally? Who are the people that you've watched walk walk through painful physical seasons, financial seasons, and you've seen them and you've seen their faith tested and they've proven themselves faithful? Because Paul's saying we're supposed to look to them. We're supposed to learn from them. We're supposed to surround ourselves with these type of people and say, man, I want to be like that. I want my faith to be tried and tested and proven faithful. We're supposed to surround ourselves with these kinds of people. Epaphroditus, he was the same kind of person of tried and and faithful. He says in verse, Paul says in verse 25, well, Paul introduces him in 25 and says, I thought it necessary to send Epaphroditus to you. And he talked about his illness. And and then Paul says in verse 28, says, so receive him and the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Epaphroditus, he saw that Paul needed to be cared for. Paul was in prison. He saw Paul needed to be cared for. Epaphroditus, he saw that the Philippians, they desired to care for Paul. And so Epaphroditus risked his life to do what was necessary. And he almost died. And Paul says, look at this guy. He is a great example of someone who is tested and proven faithful. So Paul gives us the example of Epaphroditus as well as Timothy. And these are ordinary guys who had a a gospel-centered humility and said, I'm going to serve the kingdom of God through my humility and through being concerned about other people. And these people become great examples for us. I think about Epaphroditus. I think about Timothy. Being regular guys. Some of the greatest life-changing moments 
They don't come from some grandiose sacrifice. They don't come from some great big shebang. The, the, God's greatest life-changing moments come from ordinary people living ordinary lives with gospel intentionality. Some of God's greatest work comes from ordinary people living ordinary lives with gospel intentionality. That means when you go home or when you, when you go to lunch or when you go to the Super Bowl party today, it means just being a servant-hearted person who desires to be a blessing to the people around you. It means going to work tomorrow and actually just thinking through, man, how can I be a blessing at my workplace? How, how can I bear the image of God through what I do, through how I interact with people? This is what gospel-centered intentionality is. And God's greatest work will come through ordinary people like you and I, living ordinary lives with gospel intentionality. And again, I come back. Who is it that you can think of that, that models this? Who is it in your life that you're like, man, this person is such a great example of what it means to be concerned for the well-being of others. So, who, who is it that's been the example of a proven, tested, and tried faith? Because we need to write their name down. Make a mental note. Because these are the types of people that will lead to our transformation. When we look at them, when we value them, when we follow them, when we follow their way of life. If we conscientiously just change the types of people that we look up to, it can have a transformative effect in our life. So not only does Paul say these are the types of people you need to follow, people who have a genuine concern for the well-being of others, people who have a tried and proven faith, but Paul has three instructions on how we're supposed to treat these types of people. It says in verse 28, Paul says, I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice. Again, we've talked about this idea of joy being a theme throughout uh, this letter to the Philippians. And Paul says that when you are around these types of people, that they will give you joy. So he says, he says that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him uh, in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. See, the first thing we're supposed to do for people who embody this type of lifestyle is we're supposed to receive them uh, Receive, joyfully receive the gift of those who embody the gospel. We joyfully receive them as a gift from God. Because these people are in your life. They are a gift to you. Because when you have people in your life who, who speak this kind of truth, who live this kind of way, they, they, they speak the kind of love that God has for you. They speak the kind of uh, evidence of who God is in your life. Let me <clears throat> tell you a story to explain this. This past week, I'm, I'm sitting in the office, and, and, and I've just got a ton to do. I've got a huge list of things I have to get done. And, and, and a friend stopped by the office, and he's kind of hanging out. And he steps into my office, and I'm, I'm just knocking things out, trying to get done on my list. And he said, hey, man, hey, man, I appreciate you. I appreciate the church. How can I pray for you? And I'm sitting here, and I'm thinking, man, don't you know I've got a ton of stuff going on, and I'm, I'm in a good groove right now? And then I stopped. And I realized, man, first, I need to be thankful for that. I need to be thankful for that. And I need to remember that God wants to encourage us through people. God wants to encourage us through people. 
The simpleness of somebody who desires to greet you, who says, man, I appreciate you. I'm praying for you, man. This, this is evidence that God cares for you. And that God is communicating something of his love for you through people. God does this. He speaks and he communicates his love to you through the people around you who are genuinely concerned about you. And Paul says we are to joyfully receive the gift of those who practice this, who live it out, who embody the gospel. So who, who is it? Who is it in your life that has shown you the love of God through just a kind word? Through an encouraging note? Through a kind gesture? Through serving you through a time of need? Through caring for your family? Through caring for your kids? Because this is a gift of God for you. Paul says, when I send Epaphroditus back to you, receive him with joy because he is a gift to you. An ordinary, humble, servant-hearted gift through which God wants to say something of himself to you. Secondly, we're supposed to honor such people. We thank them. We honor them. I mean, that name that you wrote down on your paper, the name that you thought of, man, honor them. Honor them. Communicate that to them. Demonstrate your honor for them. Send them a thank you note. Send them a gift card and just say, man, thank you so much for what you've shown me about about the ways of God. Thank you so much for your example, for your testimony, for me to learn from and to follow. Send them flowers. Grab coffee with them and just say, man, thank you. Thank you for showing me what God is like. Affirm them. Appreciate them because they are a gift from God in your life. And thirdly, Paul's going to tell us, well, these types of people, we're supposed to emulate these types of people. And you say, well, well where does Paul say that? <laughs> I'm kind of cheating. If you look forward in chapter 3, verse 17, Paul says, Brothers, join in, in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Who's the us here? It's the example of Paul and Epaphroditus and Timothy. Paul says, imitate us. Imitate them. Don't just look at them. Don't just follow them. Don't just keep your eyes on them. Don't just receive them. Don't just honor them. But he says, emulate them. Imitate their way of life. As you see that person live, man, how can I live like that? As you see that person, man, how can I grow to be like that? How can I serve like that? How can I behave like that? How can I demonstrate uh, that I care about the good of others and the glory of God more than I care about myself? And you watch these people and you learn from them and say, man, how can I be like that? What can I do? But here's the dilemma. When we get through this message and we have this idea, we're supposed to be these, these, follow these examples and we're supposed to put this into practice in our own lives. But here's a dilemma. We are all dim reflections. We're called to demonstrate the gospel. We're called to live it out. But every one of us is going to be a dim reflection of, of who Jesus really is. There are, we're going to represent the glory of God in some ways, but quite often we misrepresent the glory of God in other ways. Which is why, as I think about the influence I have on my own kids, I think about the influence I have on my kids, one of the most important things for me to do is to confess the ways that I misrepresent 
the love of God to them. I think about when I yell. I'm like, man, man, I'm so sorry that I got frustrated like that. Because that's not what God is like. That's not what God is like. When you sin against a person, you know, we want to confess the sin and we want to say, I'm sorry for hurting you. And we want the, the relationship to get back to normal. But when we confess, what we need to do is actually confess that we've misrepresented the love of God for the other person. And that's not what God is like. We are a room full of dim reflections. None of us perfectly live this out. None of us perfectly reflect the glory of God. The other problem that I see is that even if we have this perfect example for us to look at, we find ourselves doing the things that we don't want to do. We find it difficult to do the things that we want to do, right? And so we look at these people that we want to model after. We look at these people and we say, man, I want to be a servant like that. I want to be servant-hearted like that. But the reality is we have this bent towards ourselves. And even though we have the desire to be like this, the truth is we'd rather be served than to serve. We'd rather seek our own glory than somebody else's. I'd rather care about myself and my own honor than the honor of other people. And so what happens is you'll go to work tomorrow and you'll have, be all excited, man, I'm going to be a servant and I'm going to serve the people at my work. And then something's going to happen and somebody's going to frustrate you and you're going to be frustrated and, and no longer are you seeking to, to, to serve them because, again, we're more concerned with our own comfort than other people's good. So where does the power come from? How do we actually do this? See, if we, if we just think back and step back for a second. Remember when Paul first started this. Paul said, we are to, to live in humility and count others as more significant than ourselves. Okay? This is what Paul said to do. And then Paul pointed to Jesus as the perfect example. He said he is the perfect image of the glory of God. Jesus uses all of his glory, uses all of his goodness, and he lays it down. Lays down his life for the good of his people. He's the perfect image of what this looks like. And so when we look at these people, when we look at these people who are dim reflections, and we look up to and say, man, this person, they're getting it. They're, they're, they're doing this. They're living this out. They're trying their best. And we follow them. The goal is that we would look over their shoulder to see the Savior that they're really following. The goal is that these people that we're looking to, that we would look beyond them and see Jesus. That they're trying to follow Jesus. And so when we look at these people, they are a window of the one who is more glorious. They are a window to the one who is more beautiful, who is more humble, who is more servant-hearted. They are a window to Jesus. And we look to Jesus. And we look to Jesus not only as our example, but we look to Jesus as our power. So remember what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Paul wrote in, chapter, in verse 5, he said, have this mind among you. Have this mind of humility, of gospel-centered humility, of gospel-centered intentionality. He says, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This mindset. Jesus died not just to be our example. Jesus died to liberate us from our self-centered tendencies. 
Jesus rose again from the grave, not just to conquer Satan and death and hell, but to give us new life and a new mind and a new way of thinking. It is Christ in us that gives us the power to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And this is what we're called to do. Jesus calls us to this. He says, follow me. Follow me as I lay down my life for the good of other people. Follow me as I lay down my life for the glory of God. He says, follow me and you will find joy. Would you pray with me? God, I want to just thank you for your grace. I want to thank you for the examples that you've put in our lives. That is, God, as we're trying to figure out how to live this out, as we're trying how to figure out how to, to live out the gospel, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, that, God, you've given us examples like Epaphroditus, like Timothy, like Ron, like Johnny, like Dan, that we can look to and say, man, this is what it looks like to have gospel-centered humility, to have a gospel-centered intentionality, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to count others as more significant than ourselves. God, I pray that as a, as a body of believers that we would not be not be blindsided by, by those who, who are seeking us to follow them and to watch them and to, to, to copy their values and, and, and their way of life. But God, that we would seek these people who emulate this sort of gospel-centered humility. People who aren't trying to do it for their glory, but trying to do it for your glory. And that God, when we find those people in our lives, that when we identify them, that God, we would learn from them that we would appreciate them and we would recognize that they are a gift from you. And that we would begin to, to learn how we can practice this and live this out in our own lives. And God, I pray for those of us that can think of people in our lives that fit this model, that we would honor them, that we would thank them, that we would recognize them and say thank you so much that you have, have been a picture of the love of God for me. You've been a picture of what it means for me to follow Christ. God, I pray that you would help us to value the people uh, that, that, that live this out. God, I pray that this would be a part of, of our culture here at Restoration Church. That we would, would look up to the right kinds of people. That we would honor the right kinds of people. That we would encourage the right kinds of people. God, I pray for those that don't have that example. I pray, God, that they would find it. I pray that they would look around right here and say, man, man, I get this, man. I want to follow Jesus. I want to live this out. And I pray that they'd say, you know what? I just need some people around me to help me figure this out. There's no shame in that. It's the way we're wired. the way we're designed. God, I thank you so much for this church, this opportunity to be a part of it. God, I get to see, I get to see so much good that happens here of people who are living out this gospel-centered humility. God, I pray for those in here.
here today who are hurting, who are coming in after a long week, whose hearts are full. God, I pray that your grace would comfort them. I pray that your love would abound over them. They would feel your presence and know that you are here. Know that you are with them, that they're not alone. And God, as we have an opportunity now to respond to your word, I pray, God, that you help us to know how to respond. God, there are someone here today who just need to, to spend some time in confession before you. Say, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry that I have not lived for you. But today, God, I'm coming back and saying, God, I need you now. I pray for God for those in here today who just need to get lost in their worship and just get lost in praising you because you are good, because you are gracious to every one of us. And God, I pray as we think through those in our lives that are worthy of this kind of honor, we think of these people who are generally concerned about the welfare of others, who have a tried and tested and proven faith, that God, we would honor them, that we would honor them this week, that we would thank them. God, we thank you for who you are and ask for your blessing in our time of response now. We ask this in your name.